Oh, what a mighty God, what a mighty God, what a privilege it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. What a privilege it is to be able to see a new day, another day that we have not seen before, that we shall never see again. Only God could give us the blessings in which we've received on today, and so we're grateful. Thank you so very much for that sermonic selection as we prepare to enter into the very presence of God. Thank you for allowing me to have this privilege to take you into what I believe is the encounter where we begin to encounter God by way of his word. I want you to get your Bibles in your hands, if you will. Get your Bibles, get your Bibles. I want us to place in the atmosphere, wherever you are, this Bible creed. I want you to help me today. It will be on the screen for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible creed. But for those of you who are, let's, let's place this in the atmosphere wherever you are. Come on. This is my Bible, God's holy word. It's a lamp unto my feet, light unto my pathway. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. When I open my Bible, God opens his mouth. When I close my Bible, God closes his mouth. When I live in it and abide by it, I shall live life at its best. Pastor, we're ready for the word. Preach the word. Now, while you have your Bible in your hand, I want you to go with me to the book of the beginnings, the book of Genesis. I want you to go to the book of Genesis, which is known as the book of the beginnings. I want you to go to chapter 50, if you will, in Genesis chapter 50. And I'm going to read in your hearing verses 19 through 21, which will serve as the springboard for our conversation today, as we seek to encounter God through his word. In Genesis 50, beginning with verse number 19, here begins the reading of God's word. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I want to, I want to preach this morning. I want to preach today from the subject the in-between. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the in-between, the in-between. If you help me, go ahead and put that in the chat if you don't mind. The in-between. Now, I do need you all to know that life is full of transitions. And these transitions can be positive or negative planned or unexpected. Some transitions happen without warning and they can be quite challenging, such as in the case of death, accidents, financial, divorce, job loss, 
or serious illnesses. Other life transitions can come from positive experiences, such as getting married or going away to college or starting a new job or moving to a new city or giving birth to a child. And even though events like those are usually planned and anticipated, they can be just as altering as the unexpected events or even those things that we in fact feel like we ought to be a part of. Now listen, transition happens all throughout life. However, the challenge that we oftentimes have in those transitions is in knowing how to respond appropriately, especially when the transitions are long. We, we, we like the transitions that are positive because it's something new, it's something exciting. But we also discover that they come with uncertainty and the what ifs and the what might happen. The negative transitions can be difficult. And as we step into them, we walk in them with a sense of uncertainty because we're not sure as to how long they're going to last. Sometimes you all, it's, it's quick. Sometimes the transition never seems to end. And the question is, how do we respond in those transitional moments? Regardless of the length of the transition, the question still remains, how do we respond in the midst of the transition? To help us probe this question, I thought we would examine the life of one by the name of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. He had 12 sons. When Joseph was a young man, he would have some God-inspired dreams when he would go to sleep. The dreams were symbolic of his reigning over his brothers and them bowing down to him. The mistake that Joseph made was that of him telling his brothers about his dreams, of which was a part of why they disliked him so. As a result of their dislike for Joseph and the fact that their father, Jacob, loved Joseph more than them, they decided to take Joseph and kill him until one of them decided it would be more profitable to sell him into slavery, not expecting Joseph to survive. Well, through a very long and unexpected series of events, Joseph eventually becomes second in command in Egypt. As Joseph is placed in that position of authority, he's placed there with one assignment. And that assignment was to prepare the land for a famine that would come seven years later. He had one assignment. 
And that assignment was to prepare the land for a famine that would come seven years later. The reason Joseph gets to be the second in command was because Pharaoh had a series of dreams that no one could interpret. Joseph, however, was able to interpret the dreams for Pharaoh. He told him that his dreams meant that there would be seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. Joseph further recommends that a discerning and wise person be put in charge and that food should be collected in the good years and stored for use during the famine. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge. Two years into the famine, Joseph dreamed about his brothers bowing down to him came to pass. Two years into the famine, Joseph's brothers, like many other people, came to Egypt hoping to find food. When the brothers showed up in Egypt, they kneeled before Joseph. In fact, y'all, in that pivotal moment, Joseph looked at his brothers and he revealed his identity to them. The brothers are scared and they don't feel that this is going to turn out well. It was in that pivotal moment when Joseph's character is revealed. He says, according to our text, watch the text. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This story about Joseph is you all a beautiful expression of God's ability to bring good out of difficulty. So pastor, help me to see what Joseph's story has to do with transition. Well, when you read this pivotal line in our text that says, watch it, watch it, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You'll begin to see when you look at that line, the transition and, 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 and really come to understand what Joseph had to go through in order to get to the place where he is now. I want you to see the transition, y'all. This pivotal line in our text, by the way, it sounds good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Y'all, that's good church talk. You meant it for evil, but God can turn it around for my good. That sounds good, but it's important to note that when these words were spoken by Joseph, there was a gap that existed between what was intended for harm over against when God used it for good. When you read the entire story, 
you'll discover that when the harm was done, when Joseph's brother sold him into slavery and when suddenly his dreams are fulfilled and his brothers are actually bowing before him, the gap between those two events was a total of 22 years. 22 years had passed before the manifestation of God working it for his good. Yo, when we say God can turn it for our good, we don't take in consideration that when Joseph said this, that it took 22 years for him to actually see his dream come to pass. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm, I'm trying to help somebody here today. I need you to know that 22 years had passed by before the dream came to pass. What do you do? with the in-between time of God working it out for your good. I'll ask you again. I said, what do you do when the in-between time of God working it out for your good? Because typically, y'all, we leave out the peace that it might be a minute before we see the dream become a reality. I want to show you, I want to show you something that I believe is going to help you as you are navigating through your own personal transition. I, I want to take a look at how Joseph responded in the in-between time of his transition because I believe his response provides for us extraordinary wisdom for us to utilize. When we examine the life of Joseph, that even though he goes through this transition that was much more than a short period in his life, we discover at least three ways he responded. The first way Joseph responded was with faithfulness. I'll say it again. I want you to get this, y'all. The first way that Joseph responded was with faithfulness. How then should we respond in the in-between time. And here is the answer. With faithfulness, we should practice unwavering commitment. Joseph's brothers were constantly reminded of the fact that Joseph was their father's favorite because of the gift that his father had given him, which was a coat of many colors. They had to hear Joseph tell his dreams about them bowing down to him over and over again. So they decided to sell him into slavery. So Joseph was sold into slavery. He's then made to go to work for a guy named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh. He happened to have been the captain of the entire guard in Egypt. And while working for Potiphar, he is falsely accused of attempted rape of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph. And so she requested of him to lie with her, but he refused. I'm sorry, y'all. It's in the Bible, y'all. Y'all, she had the hots for Joseph. 
She requested of him to lie with her, but he refused. She then accused him of rape. He goes to prison. <laughs> While serving time, he meets some guys there whom he helps to get out of jail, believing that they would in turn help him. When they get out, they completely forget about him. So now Joseph goes through this long season of mess. He goes through these moments that looks like nothing of what he dreamt about. As a matter of fact, it was the complete opposite of what he dreamt about. I, I can only imagine that there must have been moments when he thought to himself that God had forgotten about him. But despite all that Joseph goes through, he remains faithful to God. How, Pastor? He chose to live with purity and integrity when he faced temptation. Watch chapter 39, if you don't mind, in chapter 39, verse 9. Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, who wanted him, He's not greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He was faithful to live with purity and integrity. He was faithful not only to live with purity and integrity, but he was also faithful to grow in his capacity. Even in hardship, he continued to grow, which allowed God to trust him with more. He was also faithful to walk in humility. Joseph sought to live a life of purity and integrity. He grew his capacity and he walked in humility. This was an expression of his faithfulness to God all throughout his life. Hey, pastor, what exactly is faithfulness? No, normally, you all, when we hear the word faithful, we hear it in the negative sense. Um, they were unfaithful to their spouse or um, they were unfaithful on the job. We don't generally give the word faithfulness a whole lot of attention in these days. If we're really honest, y'all, we'll have to admit that we really don't have the patience to be faithful. Many, many of us are ADHD when it comes to faithfulness. We live in a society where everything that we like and want is in the moment. It's instant, immediate gratification. But when it comes to faithfulness, it doesn't sound that exciting. Come on, y'all, please talk to me. I said, when it comes to faithfulness, it doesn't sound that exciting. It's bland and it's boring. Faithfulness doesn't have much energy or momentum attached to it. It doesn't come with a lot of pizzazz and glamour. Faithfulness even, y'all, it, it doesn't even sound glamorous. Faithfulness sounds extraordinarily routine and boring. L listen, y'all, listen, please hear this. 
God moves and works in the currency of faithfulness. Uh, I'll say it again. I want you to get this, y'all. Hold on to it. I said God moves and works in the currency of faithfulness. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So pastor, uh, help me to know um, what is Faithfulness. So allow me to walk through this, y'all. What, what's faithfulness, Pastor? Because because I, I see that that um, you 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 have concluded that Joseph responded with the in between with his faithfulness. So, Pastor, what is faithfulness? Here's how I would define faithfulness, you all. Faithfulness is an unwavering commitment to Christ's lordship and wise stewardship. It's an unwavering commitment to Christ's lordship and wise stewardship. Now, as you look through the pages of scripture, you'll see where faithfulness is expressed as an unwavering commitment to God, to his lordship over their lives. When we are faithful to God, we are in essence saying to God that he has rule and that he has reign in and over and through our lives. However, he so chooses to do it. He has rule and reign over and through our lives, however he chooses. We're not voting on whether we're going to serve him or not. It's not predicated on how we feel. No, we are demonstrating an unwavering commitment to his lordship over our lives, no matter how good or bad things are. In addition to faithfulness being about an unwavering commitment to his lordship, don't miss this. It's also about wise stewardship. When you consider what Jesus says in the parable of the talents, Seen in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14, 14 through 30, where the master entrusted his servants with resources. But upon the master's return, the Bible tells us that he wanted to settle the accounts with the servants he gave the resources to. The servants he gave resources to, he had an expectation that they would steward the resources wisely. The ones that chose to steward their resources wisely, the ones that manage their resources well, Bible says he called them, wait for it, faithful. Because faithfulness is this unwavering commitment that gladly makes Jesus Lord over our lives. Faithfulness is not only making him Lord of our lives, but it makes us wise stewards as we manage the resources that he's given unto us. Oh, faithfulness is making Jesus the boss 
It's, it's where he gets to call the shots. We are yielded to him and are in full submission unto the Lord. And because of this, my faithfulness will be expressed with unwavering commitment as well as in the wise stewardship of whatever he has entrusted me with. Whether it's my time, my talent, my treasure, I will be faithful with it. My brothers and sisters, that's what faithfulness is. It's an allegiance to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the wise stewardship of time, talent, and treasure, even if there is a long gap in having your dreams become a reality. When we see or hear about someone who has modeled faithfulness in areas of their lives, it makes us respect the person even the more, and we determine that we want to be just like them. But isn't it interesting that we all want the fruit of faithfulness. We just don't want the long journey of faithfulness. Mother Teresa, on one occasion, who, by the way, I, I believe to be the epitome of faithfulness, was visited by a senator from the United States Senate. Um, and um, the, the, the senator wanted to witness her work firsthand that she was doing in India. Upon his arrival, he was in awe of the sheer magnitude and size of the need. He thought to himself about how overwhelming this must be to have so little resources with so much need. The senator asked Mother Teresa, do you get awfully discouraged to see the magnitude of poverty over against the resources you have that only allows you to do so little? Mother Teresa responded while looking at the senator in his eyes with, Dear Senator, God did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. I want to suggest to you all that Mother Teresa's faithfulness was not birthed from some clarion call from the government. The seed of her faithfulness was born out of her call from the Lord himself. What we witnessed regarding Mother Teresa's life was an unwavering commitment. She demonstrated y'all faithfulness. Ah, an unwavering Commitment. Allow me to park here for a moment. I need to put some money in the meter. And I want to ask you about your own unwavering commitment. I want to ask you, are you faithful? Have you been faithful? Can God count on you? Are you demonstrating the fruit of your faithfulness? Or is it that you've been demonstrating that you are not faithful. Isn't it, it nice, y'all, that in the midst of our being unfaithful, God still is faithful with us? Oh, this, this pandemic over the last two or three years has caused many of us to lose sight 
of the fact that God has called us to be faithful and to be wise stewards over that which he has entrusted into our care, our time, our talent, and our treasure. How being faithful means having unwavering commitment. Faithfulness means having an unwavering commitment, being a wise steward with the resources God has given unto us. May I suggest you all being a disciple of Christ is a long obedience in the same direction as him. Being a disciple of Christ is a long obedience in the same direction as him. Even when that direction gets hard or the path is difficult or it's painful, our allegiance is to Jesus the Christ. That's what faithfulness looks like. Preach, Pastor. I'm doing the best I can. I say, y'all, that's what faithfulness looks like. It's not based upon our being um, 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 inconvenient. No. Our faithfulness has nothing to do with convenience. So even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if I don't understand, even if it costs me, I want to be Faithful. I want to know, is that your testimony today? It, uh, are you willing to be faithful unto God like he's been faithful unto you? Oh, my brothers and sisters, that's what he's calling us to do. This is how Joseph responds. This is how he responds to the gap that's between him receiving the dream and actually having the dream Come to a fruition. Y'all, it's, it's 22 years, but Joseph remains faithful. <laughs> y'all, please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. Being faithful is 100% in our control. The amazing thing about God is when we are faithful to God, which is fully in our control, God often does what's not in our control. Oh God, he opens the door that we can't open. He makes a way that we can't make for ourselves. He does what is beyond what we are able to do. What we bring to the table is our faithfulness to God. And what God brings to the table is his ableness to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God has a way of doing what we can't. I'll say it again. Oh, my God has a way of doing what we can't. But when we do what we can, what can we do, Pastor? Be faithful. And when you're faithful, what happened to Joseph in actually having his dream come to pass is exactly what God will allow to happen to you. As you read Joseph's story, you'll see where God sovereignly extends his favor to Joseph as he remains faithful to him. 
I'll say it again, y'all. When you read the Bible in this entire story, you discover how God extends his favor to Joseph as he remains faithful to him. I know I'm, I'm arguing this point, y'all. I'm trying to get you to see that God wants us to be faithful. I don't know who I'm preaching to and who's hearing this message today, but I've come to tell you today that God wants us to remain faithful to him. I know it's dark. I know the clouds are heavy. But I know it's difficult, but God wants us to remain faithful. So God sovereignly extends his favor to Joseph as he remains faithful to him. Pastor, are you sure? Let me show it to you. Go, go to Genesis 39, verse 4, if you will. In Genesis 39, verse 4, it says, So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, right there is when Joseph was serving over Potiphar's house. But how about y'all? Joseph had favor even in prison. Joseph had favor even in prison because of his faithfulness. Pastor, are you sure? Drop down to verse 21, y'all. Verse 21 of chapter 35. Drop down to verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. <laughs> y'all, you got to admit, y'all, this doesn't this may make sense. This does not make sense. A prisoner in charge of other prisoners. All I can say is, but God, <laughs> oh, when we do our part and remain faithful to God, God gives unto us favor. Can I get somebody to help me put preach y'all? Put that in the chat if you don't mind. God gives us favor when we remain faithful. God's favor opened the door for Joseph that he couldn't open for himself. The only thing Joseph could do was be faithful. Joseph did what he could control and God did what Joseph could not that's the power of faithfulness. Whenever, whenever you find yourself in the in-between, there's going to be some things that are outside of your control. And all you can be and do is be faithful. Second response that Joseph has to his in-between transition was forgiveness. His first response was faithfulness. But his second response is forgiveness. I, I'm hurting somebody right now. I already know I'm hurting you. Y'all, in other words, Joseph chose to protect his heart from bitterness. One of the biggest challenges that we face while we are in the in-between of a long transition is keeping our heart tender. Why? Because in long seasons of transition, bitterness shows up. And generally, it shows up in two ways. 
when we're having to go through a long transition. Shows up two ways. Number one, y'all, we get bitter at God because he's not moving fast enough or he allowed what you are going through to be a portion of your life. Two, we get bitter with those around us because they said or did something to us that hindered or hurt us in the midst of our transition. Whenever we can't see an end in sight of our transition, we've got to fight for our hearts to stay tender. The key to our hearts remaining tender requires us to forgive even though our hearts don't want to. Our hearts will not naturally gravitate towards tenderness. Our hearts will naturally gravitate toward bitterness when people have hurt us or we have seasons that we've been in too long. Jesus, Joseph, rather, Joseph fought the bitterness. He fought bitterness. Joseph fought bitterness because he was committed to keeping his heart tender. He chose to keep his heart tender towards the very brothers who betrayed him. Watch it, y'all. Genesis um, uh, 45. I want you to look at verse 4 through 5. In, in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 5, Joseph is talking to his brothers who are hungry and they've come asking for food. He said to them, watch it, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. The one you sold to Egypt. Now, y'all, can you imagine how they must have felt? Here's the one that they thought was dead by now. And they are before him asking him for what they need. <laughs> Watch, though, how Joseph allows God to shine through his character. I, I already know. I already know if this was you. Yeah, trust me, what I'm about to show you would not have been your response. Watch verse five, verse five. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Y'all, when transition moves from a short moment to a long season, there's a good chance that someone is going to say something or do something that's going to hurt you. They might question your dream. They might criticize your motives. They might reject your idea or even your choice. They might gossip behind your back. And it's in that moment that we become, that we can become extremely bitter and seek to retaliate. Or we can be like Joseph and take the high road and let it go. Hey, hey, pastor, listen, pastor, that's, that's, that's a lot easier said than done. I agree. But I need you to remember you. I need you to remember that forgiveness is not the same as healing. Forgiveness is a choice. Healing is a process. <laughs> ah, forgiveness is a choice, 
But healing is a process. Begin the process of healing by forgiving. This will get you into surgery with the master surgeon where he can work with and on you in order to put your life back together again. Healing is a process that will probably take some time. But the very first step in the healing process is to make the hard choice to forgive. Until that choice is made, the healing can't begin. I'm sorry, y'all push the rewind button. I just feel God having me to say that again. Until that choice is made to forgive, the healing can't begin. Forgiveness is the inaugurating act that allows healing to actually take place. Hey, pastor, how they treated me was wrong. What they said and did to me, I wouldn't do it to my worst enemy. And it looks as if they are literally getting away with this. They rained on my dreams for the future. And I'm angry about this. I'm mad as hell, pastor. Listen, y'all, listen, I get it. I get it. I get it. We've all been there. I think the book of Proverbs can give us some insightful wisdom around this issue, though. If I could get you to take a look at Proverbs 26, verse 20. In Proverbs 26, verse 20, it says, you all, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. <laughs> the, the writer here is telling us when we stay angry, you're just throwing more wood on the fire of unforgiveness. But when you run out of wood, when you stop throwing anger on the fire of unforgiveness and instead you release forgiveness, that's when the fire dissipates. All because you're no longer feeding or fueling the fire by giving the offender control of your life. Y'all, whenever we keep rehearsing what the offender did to us, all we are doing is putting more wood on the fire. Y'all, I, I come today to tell somebody, stop allowing the offender to live in your space rent-free. Start the eviction process. I know this is hard, but we have to start the process. Only you can put the fire out. Choose to forgive. <laughs> and I, I know this is a supernatural work because the pain is so deep. It hurts so bad. It's going to require the assistance of the Holy Spirit. But I've come today with some good news. And the good news is he will aid you. But you have to want it. <laughs> if you continue to warm yourself by the fire of unforgiveness, it will eventually consume you. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he says this, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. While, while, while you are in the in-between, fight to keep your heart tender. 
Not only should we be faithful, I'm almost through. Not only should we be willing to forgive, but third, we need to show fruitfulness. In other words, we need to prioritize preparation in the transition. We tend to think that when wherever we are right now, wherever we are right now, or the place where we have been was the place of our fruitfulness. Then we look at where we are going to and we think to ourselves that in that place, we are really going to be fruitful there. God is going to do some great things there. That's our thinking. I'll be able to help a lot of people there when I get there. I'll really be able to make a difference when I get there. Now, here we are in the middle. Looking back at what we were fruitful at and looking ahead at what we are going to be fruitful in. And we think that fruitfulness is not also reserved for the middle or the in-between. We think that fruitfulness is for where we were. We think fruitfulness is for where we are going, but it's not for here in the middle. Listen, y'all, it's true you were fruitful where you were, and yes, you will be fruitful when you get there, but God wants you to also be fruitful in the in-between. He wants you to be fruitful in the middle as well. Now, now the way we can maximize our fruitfulness in the middle is by cooperating with his preparation. <laughs> oh man, I said, y'all, the way that we can, that we can, we can operate in fruitfulness in the middle is by cooperating with his preparation. And here's why. Because that's what God does in the transition. In the in-between, God is preparing you to be fruitful in the next season of your life. And if we are not careful and we don't allow him to prepare us here, we won't be prepared to handle what he has for us there. Joseph shows us this very fact in Genesis chapter 45. Verses six through eight, let me show you what it says. It says, for two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Oh, man. Yo, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. The purpose of Joseph's long transition was to prepare him to preserve the people. It was to prepare his heart. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to and you fussing with God because God has taken you through some, some trials and some difficulty in the middle. 
when you don't understand that what God is doing is he's using you to preserve the people who are going to come after you. He's using you to preserve the members of your own family. He's using you to preserve the people of your own community, in your own city. God is using you. He's preparing you. And on the backs of your preparation lays you all the life and legacy of those who will come after you. So God has to prepare us. He's preparing us to help the people, but he's also preparing our heart. So in the in-between, God wants to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. Now, let me just drop it. Yeah, I, I got to park here for a moment. I'm almost through, but thank you for your time today. Listen, y'all, God cannot give us what he has prepared for us before we are prepared to receive it. Because if he does... If the right preparation has not taken place, we are liable to blow up the thing that God meant to be a blessing to people beyond you. So God wants to prepare you for what he has prepared for you. But wait for it. It's your choice as to whether or not you'll make the in-between count. Now, we can look back at what we had. <laughs> we can look ahead at what we want. But if we do not cooperate with God in the middle, in the moment of transition, we will not be ready for what he has for us. If we don't let him prepare us here in the middle, we will be crushed by the thing he has for us. It's in the middle where he does the inner work to support the outer work. <laughs> Without the inner work, the outer work will crush you. The greater the opportunity, the greater the pain. It's in the in-between where God prepares you giving you the inner resources you need so that when you step into the new opportunity, you have what you need to handle the weight of whatever he has entrusted to your care. Listen, y'all, thank you for your time. I hope I helped you today. I tried my best to help you to see that there is purpose behind what you are going through. And rather than complaining and throwing up your hands and crying and talking about quitting, maybe what you ought to do is dig in and be faithful. Forgive so you can be fruitful in the end.